Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor ABD, nearly, he's, he's, he can see the end of, of well, well, maybe it's the end of the rainbow. <laughs> so maybe as he gets closer, it will, it will disappear because it is nothing but a, a chimera. It is, a, it is a, a, an illusion finishing the dissertation. Richard Ledoux. Oh my gosh. Oh, Garrett, thank you so much. It's, that was the longest uh, introduction I've ever had. Well-deserved, uh, and I appreciate it. <laughs> the introduction very, very that was just pointing out that dissertations <laughs> are terrible. Yes, yes. I, I, I am looking for there, – there, there is some uh, progress. Look, I'm looking toward the research portion of the project, uh, November, December, and then uh, – writing up my findings that no one will ever read, uh, not even the dissertation committee. And, uh, you know, one of our friends of the show, but probably doesn't listen anymore. Like most of our former friends, (laughs) um, it, Sherilyn, uh, she posted on Facebook the other day because she's near the end of her history PhD as well. And she had just finished meeting with, uh, her advisors about, you know, the things you still have to do. And she was thinking about, well, I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. And she gets in the car, and she has the Mormon Tabernacle Choir playing, right? Because clearly, Sherilyn is doing dissertations better than I am. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's like, to... yeah, she's, she, yeah, I was, it was all ACDC. Yeah, poison. Yeah. No, it's, no, it's... no, not po- poison was when I was taking it easy. The other time, it was, <laughs> it was you noir. Know, no, <laughs> I was listening <laughs> To Sepultra, uh, uh, it was <laughs> no. It, she's obviously she's in the right mindset. She's listening, and and uh, the song that comes on from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir as she's thinking, "Am I am I ever going to get this done?" Is to dream the impossible dream. Oh, that's great. Which and, that's where she's and, at. And, and you mean the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square? Y- yes, that's right. I, did I? Did I? Well, you know what. The recording she was listening to, guaranteed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, yeah that's right. uh, on your own guitar, <laughs> aren't you? So the uh, we'd like to get right into the Phoebe Draper Palmer Brown mailbag. We have uh, two two emails. One a little bit longer of an answer. One a little bit shorter. We're gonna start with a little bit of the shorter of the answer here. This comes to us from Cindy, and it's about Lilburn Boggs Temple work. Ah, uh, yes. This was on a previous episode where we talked about the prophecy that a church spire would cover the grave of, yeah. I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure we debunked it. I, Although, I, you know what? Repeating it back now, I kind of wish it was true. <laughs> I do too. I also think that, that Lilburn would have done well with perhaps a, a rapper name. He'd be Lilburn. Maybe that's what his parents were going for. Yeah, yeah. He's Lil you, got, you got Big Burn. You got 
Big Daddy Burn, and then you got Lil Burn. Lil, Lil Burn. And that's Daddy. why he had to be governor because he was, you know, pursuing it's his funny, parents' There love. were a lot of people named Lil Burn back then. Well, I occasionally get the question, um, quite often, honestly. I mean, as questions go. I mean, so the number one question is polygamy. Uh, and then the next 10 questions are also, are, are also different aspects of polygamy. <laughs> Some of you actually write into the show to try to trick me to talk about it. You, so you've talked about it twice. I've talked about it more than that. Yeah, it's true. But where I had an entire episode on, you know, polyandry. on a polyandrous ceiling. I mean, what what more do you want from me? Yeah, that's right. I, the people cry out, but I think the people just aren't listening. But um, uh, people will try to write in to try to trick me. You know, like, hey, I had a question about, you know, how elders' quorums were formed. By the way, who was the second <laughs> plural wife of Joseph Smith? I mean, it's... It, it, it's a, they're unrelated. They they want to. They're hopeful that it just kind of goes right into there. But one of the questions I get, and I would say at least once every five to six months when I'm doing firesides and 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 things like that. If you're wondering, yes, I occasionally, occasionally people are so hard up that I have given firesides. In fact, we have a couple. I've. I think I only do firesides for listeners of the show at this point, right? Because so, everyone's yeah. like, hey, is there any way you could come to... Because after listening to the show, they're thinking, what is every church leader thinking when they need a fireside speaker? I need someone dumb enough to say yes. I just need someone available. I've been asked zero times. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> <laughs> I need someone who's available. Well, what is... I mean, look... Have you ever done a cameo? You ever gone on and bought like a cameo? Yeah, you got me one for my birthday. There we go. I got Richard a cameo for his birthday. Um, You know, we're a celebrity person. It was was Jim Miller, the former. Chicago Bears quarterback. And Richard's a huge Bears fan. I am. You know, who wished Richard a a happy BYU football game, but then they were. We got crushed by Oregon. It was a beating. Oh my gosh. It was was biblical. It was. Yeah. Uh, At any rate. Um. Some cameos cost a lot of money, right? Others are less expensive. What do you think the deciding factor is on that cost? Just general popularity. Popularity and demand, right? Of course. So when you're always available to give a fireside, (laughs) it's because your dance card isn't terribly full. That is If you know what I mean. Actually, there was one time we have a listener to a friend of the show, Lisa. She uh, she tried to get me to come and to present uh, some something. She did. She did. Yeah, and you and my, let, you ghosted her. No, I, no, I did not. <laughs> so my wife said, "You don't have anything to say that anyone wants to hear." Well, he actually did say yes at I first, did. and I then did. Becky said, "You call her back, <laughs> and you tell her no." Right or or writer back or whatever it was something along those lines. Yeah, in fact, she actually sent me a message and said, "Richard's not doing that. He's not going to become one of those people." Well, I'm talking to her. I'm clearly one of those people. As mentioned in last week's episode, uh, our family slogan is "Don't embarrass the family." My wife knows very well that I don't have anything to present that anyone wants to listen to. How would that be any different than every other fireside? Well, yours at least provides some level of history. Well, so wait, you, you didn't even say what the thing they ask you. Oh, they ask you to do no, the fire no, signs? Or no, they ask you a question no, about the fire no. signs? Uh, we went down at what we like to call in the standard of truth, a tangent. Um, 
But I get asked pretty regularly, it's a question that you wouldn't expect. And that is about Joseph Smith's brother, Don Carlos. They're like, that's such a weird yeah, the name. sword The sword fighter, Don Carlos. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, d- why in the world? I mean, in fact, I even had one person who said, well, I was listening to this anti-Mormon and he said, and I was like, what? What? Are you just casually listening to anti-Mormons? Um, he's like, I was listening to this anti-Mormon and he said that it was actual proof that the Smiths were just a bunch of liars and fabricators that they were trying to make themselves sound so grand that they named one of their sons Don Carlos, even none of even though none of them were Spanish or had any Spanish heritage. It just shows what deceivers the Smiths were. Yeah. And uh, the reality is that um, it's actually a really, I mean, it's not like, it's not like Bill. Remember Bill the adulterer? <laughs> Do you remember how Bill wrote in to say, I'm hey, not an adulterer? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Bill, we need to hear from you again. We need another email from you because it's been a, it's been a little while for all we know. No, we assume. That he's now an adulterer? Well, yeah, with a name like Bill. Yeah, all Bills uh, end up adulterating at some point. Uh, but, so anyway, that was, I mean, it just demonstrates how something that quote-unquote stands to reason, as Jordan and his Xbox demonstrated last week, um, it, it, sure, that sounds like, oh, what? yeah, the Smiths are just trying to make themselves sound smarter and better by using that name. But it's actually a pretty common name. In the 19th century. So why is it a common name in the 19th century? It's a great question. I mean, you could ask the same thing about all kinds of stuff that we have as names. I mean, what? why is LeBron a common name now in the United States? Well, but I could, I mean, yeah, I could answer. There you go. Because it gives a little bit of prestige because of that. And in fact, one of the generals of the Civil War, um, who is frankly, unfortunately, one of the worst uh, generals uh, in the Civil War. He, That's saying a lot. There, Well, I mean, look, I guess I'm going to have some... How many Civil War PhD historians are listening, do you think? Actually, surprisingly, probably a lot. <laughs> so, so how, uh, Like faithful s- members of the church, very few. So, Civil War so historians, it's at, PhDs, it's at a lot. least... 50, 60%. The majority of our, of our downloads are your mom, Rachel's mom, and PhDs in history. PhD. Uh, uh, Civil that, War historians. But they're listening to a Latter-day Saint podcast. That's what they're doing. Well, anyway, his name's Don Carlos Buell. Don Carlos Buell. Um, he's he's uh, most well-known uh, for his, well, he... he, he uh, he does okay, actually, in the Battle of Shiloh, which is one of the biggest early battles. But uh, he loses the Battle of Perryville. He like loses most of uh, East Tennessee to the Confederacy. So he's you know he's considered. Uh, I mean, he gets sacked by Lincoln in 1862, and he, so he's he's considered a a poor commander. In fact, I'm about to let the audience in on something that I probably shouldn't. Um, when I was younger and I had time and also clearly not any friends, I, I love strategy games. I love them. I mean, for some people that's settlers of Catan and stuff like that. 
I love military strategy games. I was playing them. Me and my brother were playing them. My brothers, Brian and Dal, we'd play them from the time I was a little kid. And one of the ones I had is an American Civil War strategy game where, you know, one side's the Confederacy and one side's. And the, the good commanders, they, you know, if they had a one, you'd like add a, you'd add a one to your role because he's, he's that good that he makes your role that much higher. This sounds like I'm doing Dungeons and Dragons at this point. Uh, <laughs> there there, yeah, there, there no, was it's, no it's Dungeon Master. It's Dungeons and Dragons, but with like historical yeah, figures. Historic Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, no, you yeah. have to move your Don arm. Carlos Buell Warlock had a yeah, hit. <laughs> he had a, a 29 hex <laughs> spell that he could use. Anyway, um, uh, and the better the commanders, the higher that number was, right? So, so like, uh, you know, Grant was like a four. So you like added a four to every roll of your dice. So he was, I mean, Grant's killing everyone essentially, right? Um, Don Carlos Buell was in another camp. Whereas if they were really bad commanders in the actual war, they had like a highlighted number, which meant you subtracted that much off of the roll. And his was like a subtract two. So it was, if he ended up being your commander, you lost every single battle, which is also what happened when he was the commander. So it was a very good historical simulation. Now, luckily the Smiths did not name their son, Don Carlos, after Don Carlos Buell, because this civil war, of course, occurred many years later. Uh, but, but Don Carlos Buell was born roughly the same time as Don Carlos. He's born in 1818. So Don Carlos Buell's parents were also liars trying to put exactly. on Exactly. I mean, so the whole point is, look, we have all kinds of names that are cultural things that people hear and they go, oh, that's cool. And yes, in, in the 19th century United States, there was kind of this affinity for... Uh, you know, Spanish names because it, it made things seem older. And you don't have to go very far to see that same phenomena today. I mean, you know, go to, uh, you know, Thousand Oaks, California, and the main road is Avenidos de los Arbolos, right? I mean, why? Well, because, you know, and everything's, you know, Spanish this and Spanish that. It's not, th those, those names were, you know, deliberately designed to try to give this kind of a Spanish flavor to make it seem more, more ancient. So anyway, I get asked that question all the time. You know, why, why do they name him Don Carlos? It's funny. I've been asked it twice this year, in fact. Yeah. Really? Yep. By the way, your Spanish uh, has the accent of a person that served their mission in Wisconsin. Well, I, I yeah, I'm not. I'm De los Arbolas. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm saying it the way that the GPS says it. Okay. All yeah, right. that's how the GPS lady says it. If I had a month of Sundays, as I've heard you say, <laughs> I would never have guessed we would have started here with Don Carlos as a name. You know what? This is just a little treat for the listeners. A yeah. Little, little has anyone? Prize. You know what? Has anyone listening ever thought to themselves, why am I listening to this podcast? <laughs> and second of all, has anyone listening thought, why are the Smiths naming their son Don Carlos? I have actually wondered why they. I mean, Don. It's such a such an odd. I believe name. one of our listeners said, answering the questions that you never asked or didn't have. That is true, right? Um, and of course, Joseph loves Don Carlos. Um, and in 1841, his younger brother is going to die, most likely of tuberculosis, and so it's going to be a huge tragedy for Joseph. And. Shortly thereafter, Joseph's son, who he had named after his brother that he loved, Don Carlos, also died when he was just a toddler. 
Um, so, I, I mean, there you can tell Joseph is giving his brother the name because, I mean, giving his, his son the name because it's his brother's name because he, he loves his brother, just like he um, at least is reputed to, although we don't know for certain. I mean, people say that he tried to name his first son Alvin, but that's that's not definitive. Um, at any rate, um, that wasn't the question that was asked. We haven't gotten close to the question that was asked. We're back to... But we were talking about why Lilburn had the name Lilburn. This is true. Yeah. So uh, Lilburn, the hype man for what we could only assume is Big Daddy Burn. Um, I'm related to Governor Boggs, first wife. So, so first of all, you're a member of the church and you're related to Governor Boggs. First wife. Well, Through yeah. marriage, you know. Well, yeah, but that means she's related to him. I mean, maybe it's an maybe it's an aunt. I don't know. Oh, I see. So maybe she's like an in-law. Yeah, like she's not yeah. actually. But said, why would she say first wife? She'd say first wife's sister then or something. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying. We're to gonna get... need a little bit. We're gonna need your family group sheet. Uh, and if, if you I, could send fact... your personal ancestral file <laughs> along with, if you could send your personal ancestral file along with any credit card numbers, pin numbers, <laughs> and or bank accounts. So uh, I'm related to Governor Boggs' first wife, Julia Ann Bent. She died in 1820. So that may be what sent him over the bend. Well, that's very nice of you to give him the benefit of the doubt. There you go. Um, so you you were related to him before before he was before murdering. he became evil. That's right. Yeah. Well, we just read in our last. Uh, if you didn't if you didn't listen to our last podcast, we got a few shots in. Well, I didn't. Joseph Smith got a few shots in on what Governor Boggs had done. Since we are related, I have access to his records on Family Search. When you pull up Boggs' temple ordinance page, everything is colored a bright, cautionary yellow. And the message next to each ordinance states, cannot request, not available. The person's ordinance status is not available. Please contact Family Search Support if you are a relative and need more information. From this, I would guess that his temple work has not been done. I don't know if this would be appropriate to share on your podcast. Well, okay. Well, well you know what? We've, uh, sorry about that. We Cindy. seem to <laughs> jump. Richard, I'm going to need you to read these emails before we look, whatever you guys do, don't share this on your podcast. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, oh, oh Cindy. I'm yep, so I, sorry. I, I, I don't mean Cindy. I mean, Bill. Yeah. Bill, Bill, the adulterer. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Bill, the adulterer is related to Lil, Lil Burn. Uh, I don't know if this will be appropriate to share in your podcast. If Governor Boggs comes up again, I think he might. He always will, by the way. He always does. Yeah. But feel free if you'd like to. Or does it make the church seem like it holds a little or a very long grudge? What is the appropriate grudge length for inciting murder and mayhem? First of all, that's one of the greatest questions ever asked. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> you should come with us on our tour to Missouri and you'll see. So I'm not going to make it out of Jackson County without just being mad. It, it's so weird because I, I feel embarrassed that I am so mad, but I start reading the accounts of the things that happen and I'm just like, you pieces of garbage. Sorry. Sorry. No, I, remember, I, I just I, digre- no, I just I digressed the first again. time. The first time I ever drove into Liberty, like people are just like whistling and happy and walking their dog, and I'm coming in. And I hate all of you. Yeah, like I just I was I was really upset, really angry about it. Yeah, and then it was it was an irrational jail anger. and you came out even more yeah. mad. Yeah, but the guy who's just like walking and like you know the mailman that's whistling and saying hey hey. I never saw one person smile. 
when I was in Missouri. <laughs> well, just I want to read this. I want to read this sentence again because it's uh, what is the appropriate grudge length for inciting murder and mayhem? I don't think gr- grudge seems well, like it's a softer, perhaps right. word. I, I like how she was dialing it down. She did dial it down. Um, I did think you both would find it interesting. However, happy to share a picture of the page from Family Search. If you'd like to see it, my son recommended your podcast to me, and it's absolutely my favorite. And since I've I've retired, I listen to many many podcasts. Keep up the great work, and I'll keep up the devoted listening. Cindy, proud card carrying subscriber of Standard of Truth oh, Premium. Well, content. now I know how she got into the read. Wait, uh, why don't we get cards to carry? That's a great question. You know, it communists it, and. Yeah, every <laughs> communist and uh, us. standard of yeah. truth premium listeners. I it's actually a really problematic thing that we're trying to work on. So we are working the problem, but we're working it the same way that we're talking about polygamy, uh, because when people sign up for the premium, Apple and Spotify actually shield that from us. I think just so they can steal more of your money. But they don't send us a list of who the premium subscribers are. And so we want to be able to create a community of those people. So so we've got some ideas. Don't worry, Damien's. Yeah, Damien's Damien gave us a lot of great ideas that we will poorly execute. Well, look, is Damien executing the ideas? No. <laughs> if it's us, it's gonna be poor. I mean if Damien does, it'd be great. Yeah. Unfortunately, Damien has what we like to call a real job and you know. Uh, so he probably can't, but, but he gave us some good ideas of some ways we might work around it so that we can try to build a community, maybe something where we can, we can have people, uh, on there to, that are premium subscribers where they can talk to one another. But, and, and, and this came, so we had some audio issues in the last episode. A lot of my audio was cut. Uh, it's interesting how that works. <laughs> so we are not what you would call a high-end operation. They'll be surprised to hear that. Shocked. Okay. So occasionally, and it's weird, it's relatively occasionally, but occasionally one of our mics will just spontaneously stop working while we're doing this. And it's not the mic, it's the software that right. is, yeah, I mean, is running the... Yeah, I mean, the mics seem great. Um, the freeware that we <laughs> installed with 17 viruses on our computers so that we could do this for free, they seem to not work as well as they might. So in that last episode, I don't know what, what will be cut and what won't be. You're going to find... Uh, as you're <laughs> we might just leave it in and Richard will just sound like he's very I'm, distant. Yeah, he's, like, yelling. Oh, he's like, it's very, yeah. It's yeah. very distant. But in that, we, we talked about... Um, the tour that we went on and uh, and how wonderful all those people were on the tour and how we have a WhatsApp to be able to communicate prior to the tour and then on the tour. And then it's been several months and we, people are still communicating on the on the WhatsApp. It's a lot of it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of like-minded folks that are uh, faithful members of the church who may or may not take themselves so seriously and it's uh, just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. And so um, thank you so much for being a premium uh, listener. And uh, Cindy, we are very grateful for that. And we hope we hope to have more things like that coming in the next three to seven years. So, <laughs> yeah, sometime before we retire or die. Um, 
Which of uh, their uh, children are you descended from? I'm guessing, because if you're from Julianne, his first wife, right? They have two children. So are you from Angus or are you from Henry? Interesting. We would like a little bit of a follow-up on that. So you're right. When you do go to family search, those things are, you know, needs more information or contact the staff kind of thing. They're yellowed out in a way. I would love to believe. I mean, look, I of all people want to believe. Grudges. That, yeah. I want to oh. believe that President Nelson's sitting there. Nope. nope not yet. Yep, not this yep, year. Yep, yep. He's like Pete Rose getting into the Hall of Fame. No, not really this is, year. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't bet on baseball. Maybe you shouldn't murder a bunch of Mormons. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that. Very similar. I would like, I mean, I'll tell you what, President Hinckley wouldn't have approved it. <laughs> President Ford's out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, or, or, or not uh, I, I think also President reasons... Ford, anyone with Ford, Governor, <laughs> <laughs> Governor Ford, Gerald Ford was not a problem for us. Anyone named Ford in leadership. They're out. It's true. We have a real problem. Anyone named Ford, anyone named Boggs. We didn't even want Wade Boggs to win a world <laughs> series. We prayed against it. That's the reason why. The, the Red Sox struggled. Um, but anyway, um, more like, I mean, so look, possibly that's the reason why, but I would guess much more likely it's actually the fact that it is constantly being requested to be done. And so they just put a lock on it. You probably have, so, so look, the way that these temple records were originally kept, right? I mean, computers didn't exist. So how did people do temple work? Well, they all had their own giant family group sheet, right? Well, how do you know whether your third cousin Lester has gotten that far on your family line as you have? How would you, how could you possibly know? I mean, okay, eventually things are going to be a little bit digitized and you have a better chance of understanding where things are at. You get the personal ancestral file and stuff like that. But many of these ordinances were performed long before uh, things were digitized. And so that's what I would guess. I would guess that not only do they have multiple independent records of people doing the work, as like I said, it is a Latter-day Saints favorite thing to do. I'm sitting around and I say to myself, you know what? I would like to demonstrate that you're a member now, whether you like it or not, you know? Um, but my guess is it's more that my guess is they have probably dozens, if not hundreds of competing records of people that have said that they have done it and that people keep requesting to do it. But you know what? As a direct descendant, you can always ask. I would love it if you were to contact them and say, I would like to have my husband do, not you. I mean, yeah, if you were to do it, then, then, we, then they'd probably say no. But if you're I'd like to have my husband do, he's my great, 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 great grandfather, whatever it is, um, and, see, and see what they would say. But, um, you know, they probably have to run it up the line somewhere, but I don't really know. Um, uh, I am not uh, adept at all of these uh, types of things. Um, it is interesting though, that it's not, it, it just, you know, it says needs more information, but it's not just, um, uh, it's not just affecting Wilbur and Boggs, right? Because it's affecting the fact that Julia, his wife 
before he did all the nonsense, can't be sealed. Well, I'm, I'm, no, that's what she says. Yeah. She goes, uh, it's uh, very funny. She, she can't be sealed to her spouse because her spouse is Wilburn Boggs. Or at least it's it's blocking that from being done. Sealing to spouse not available is what it's saying on the old pedigree chart. So who would you guess probably that was the most popular for people to go and do work for? Like, like oh, Calvin? Of an well, there's all kinds. Reformers, people go do that all the time. Um, John Calvin, Martin Luther, uh, John Wesley. People are doing John oh, yeah, Wesley yeah. all the time. We're huge Wesley yeah, fans. We're big meth time Methodists. Um, but then also antagonists. People, love, people. I guarantee Governor Ford has been, you know, through the roof number of times because it's a way of people saying, "Well, you didn't like us, but shows you." Well, maybe I, I don't know that they necessarily are going with the same level of attitude that that you I are, have that you're presenting. They maybe might, I might have in, a little bit of a chip you, on my shoulder. Well, but it might be in more of a Christ-like, loving. You know, you know what? Hey. Come on, dear friend. Now the war is passed. Well, yeah, but that, that never happened. There was no begging of forgiveness. There was just murder. <laughs> I will note that uh, um, in some of that family group sheet, there are a few things you could do. So, you know, there's some other. Yeah. Thomas Oliver. Yeah, there's lots Lo- of people William there. William Boggs. Could. Anyway. Um, so uh, that's what I would guess. I would guess that they probably locked it down because it's been done so many times that that it's just, it's, it's ridiculous at this point. I, I, I should go back and look at like someone like George Washington to see how many times it's been done. Right. I mean, so uh, and that's different because you at least have, w, you at least have Wilford Woodruff saying that he did it. You so know? I, what, what do you think that's like in, in uh, spirit prison and you're up there and it's like, Hey, you were baptized again. Hey, you want to, you want to accept this one? Nope. You nope, know what? I got to do in it. In the early church, in the early church, uh, we rebaptize people all the time. Yeah, this is something you've mentioned a little bit. We haven't talked a lot yeah. about, but uh, they baptized them for all kinds of different reasons. Yeah, people did baptisms for healing. They did baptisms for recommitment. When the saints got to the valley, Brigham Young uh, told everyone to be rebaptized because it, as a re-signal of their commitment. So rebaptism was something that was actually pretty common. And again, that sounds crazy to you, and you're about to. You're like, what? And how many of you are standing in front of the church office building, burning your yeah, recommends the, the, right the, now? The church lied to me. They never yeah. told me that Brigham I, said that everyone I was, was supposed never to be told. I was never told. As if you know, in your primary lesson, it was like, <laughs> now, no one was ever rebaptized ever. You know, I mean, I, I doubt that that was the lesson. Unless they had a far better primary teacher, you know, than, than most. But anyway, um, that that practice of rebaptism is eventually going to end by the late 19th century. And um, so it, maybe these spirits in spirit prison are, you know, they're like, you know what? I need to be renewed there. And look, we see this all the time. I see it in my own family, my own family pedigree chart, that there are multiple competing endowments, dates for them, places they're done for literally the same person because they came at two from two different group sheets that came in. So, I mean, the difference is no one's running out and trying to find the nearest Dirk Mott to baptize until they listen to this podcast. <laughs> not even the Dirk Mott family. Yeah, not even the, no, we're terrible at a family history. I mean, come on, I'm the one doing it. Um, 
but with someone who was so crucial to the history of the Saints, I mean, it's it it just it's a no brainer. So that's what I that's what I think. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not, you know, spoiler alert. I'm not a general authority over the Temple Department. So just so everyone's aware, uh, as as the podcast has no affiliation with the church other than the fact that we are members and we love it, um, uh, but uh, nothing we say matters. Um, Speaking of that, next email, Eric. Uh, the last charge beating. This is a little bit of, uh, I mean, almost apostles minus apostates a little bit. Yeah, it's a, li- a little bit of apostles and apostates, but it's um, it's more Mostly like apostles. it's apostles, but guess what? Some of those guys do apostatize. There we go. Uh-huh. You know what? Let's call this part two. No, because it'll confuse people and they'll be like, what? When was Lilbert Boggs a, an apostle? <laughs> He's an apostate. Um, he was never a member. He couldn't even be. He's just a jerk. <laughs> So we need it to be apostles, apostates. And jerks, part two. You know, for the alliteration, it would have to be another word that starts with A, but, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, yes. you can't, apostles, apostates, apothecaries. <laughs> I, Anyone who happens to be a pharmacist in early, <laughs> in early church history, we want to know their names. I'm sorry. Please I'm so email sorry. the show. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I, Back to the question. All right, Eric. I hope this email finds you both well. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Yeah, it finds us hilarious. We're, we're quite well. I'm so sorry to everyone listening. I'm so sorry to Angie when she hears this. Oh, if our wives were here, they'd oh, be man. so mad. They would us. tell us we'd have to redo it. Yeah. This one's going to seem a little more reckless because they're not here. They do keep us in check. Oh, yeah. When they're not asleep, they're like, you guys are doing a terrible job. <laughs> That out. <laughs> Best part is Becky and Angie, our respective wives, they'll sleep for 45 minutes of the podcast. They'll wake up, not of their own volition, but because Becky's bouncing her leg on the chair and Richard wakes her up and Angie's, you know, uh, snoring or something and, 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 and we wake her up. Both of them wake up, have listened to literally nothing we've said immediately begin to criticize what we've done. They're, they're, we, Jordan, we feel your pain with the Xbox and the dishes. You know what? Jordan was playing the Xbox with his son, by the way. Yeah. You know what? You know, this is the night we've waited for. Always a treat. We haven't, or they're having family night. It's a whole, it's a whole so, so you think Did for you family home evening, they were playing Xbox, but his wife, rather than playing, <laughs> went to go start doing the dishes. That's what you know. think. I don't know. It seems classic Jordan's <clears throat> wife. Jordan, I need you to have your wife email in her side of the story. I so, feel I feel like I'm on Jordan's wife's side. I'll be honest. I with you. think there's no other side to be on, but as long as Jordan signs up for the premium content, we will be on his side. <laughs> So, by the way, when you when you did you guys have family night as a as a family? Did you ever do family home evening often? I don't want to judge my, you. Not not now, you, obviously not now. But like when you were a well, kid. clearly not now. No, not now. No, yeah, we did it all the time when we were kids. Did Everyone. you have a, did you have a song that you no. sang? When you we sang? would sing an opening hymn, but we would. Oh, not, you would you would pick a hymn. Yeah, be different and every sing time. it. Yeah, it, yes, okay. yes. So you wouldn't sing. This is the night we've waited for. Always a treat. No, we, I, we love we, each other more and more with every family night. Stories no. and games for everyone. So you, the gospel so, you would, fun. so you would say Father that. and mother, daughter, son, together on family night. I, I don't even know the song you're talking about. Oh. Right. Yeah. 
Okay. Is that in the children's song? I think it was like like from the 60s or something. I don't know. Uh, if I had to we pick, sing it. Yeah. I'd be in our lovely Deseret. I love that song. Yeah. Drink no liquor and they eat, but a very little meat. We would sing that on our mission, but we'd sing it with like a southern accent. It was fun. It's it interesting, it was good- especially given the fact it was written by a northerner as a northern marching song for the Union Army in when you the sing Civil that War. song, you can like swing your arm. You really That's what can it, get yeah. Out well, to the, it, yeah. it it was originally so it was written by George. You didn't know we were going to talk about this, did you? I assume I hoped. I yeah. Don Carlos and and yeah, it was originally written by George F. Root, who is a a master uh, songsmith of of the mid nineteenth century. I mean, he's you know, um, and the song was called "Tramp, Tramp, Tramp." The boys are marching, and it was a Union marching song during the Civil War. Tramp, 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 the boys are marching. Cheer up. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I've heard that yeah. song. Yeah. But not. Have, have you heard the Tramp, Tramp, yeah, Tramp version? I've, oh, I've okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you're always humming it. Yeah. I, you know what? Every time we come up to record the podcast, I'm like, Tramp, <laughs> Tramp, 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 the boys are march. I think, the, I think actually the... Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square also does a version of that. Oh, is that right? Yeah, they do some Civil War songs. The email finds us very well. Uh, Eric, thank you very much. I recently learned of a meeting Joseph Smith had with most of the Quorum of the Twelve. In this meeting, Joseph Smith gave the keys of the kingdom to the Twelve, and I was looking for more information about the meeting and what sources exist for it. Best regards, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I mean, this is something that if we ever did talk about succession, which we've got to, we well, really... we, we kind of do sometimes. No, but people want it like in an organized but way. But then I'd end up repeating myself things that I've already said. What? You're doing that anyway. I guess I did just talk about Don Carlos for 25 minutes. <laughs> I I think yeah what, yeah. yeah what do you want I I, I like to uh, what I Heaven like forbid the, you talk about the succession uh, situation versus Don Carlos and tramp 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 the boys are marching I feel like answering people's questions is an important part of what we do uh, oh yeah no one no one I asked either the of questions <laughs> okay so um, this is sometimes called the final charge to the twelve or the last charge and. It is where Joseph Smith gives the keys of the kingdom to the Quorum of the Twelve because, of course, Joseph's not going to be there anymore. And so the question then becomes, um, how is it that uh, how is it that the church is going to continue to be led in the wake of Joseph's death? Now, we have talked about before, and, and when we do do succession at some point, Good. Yeah. yeah. No. Richard. Good. Richard. Right after out. apostles and, uh, and apostates and apothecaries, part two. <laughs> apostles, apoth, <laughs> apothecaries. Let's put apothecaries in the middle. Let's do that one. Um, the the keys of the kingdom, right, which were restored to Joseph Smith over the course of years uh, by various different uh, ministers. You know, you you not only have the ones that he gets from the the three apostles, Peter, James, and John who visit him, but also from John the Baptist. You also have Moses, Elias, and Elijah. You have all of these keys that are restored over the course of time. Not all at once, but a little bit at a time. And then what happens when Joseph dies? And of course, one of the questions becomes, who has the authority to lead? 
Many people made arguments that they had the authority to lead because of the position they held in the church, like Sidney Rigdon. He's going to make the argument, hey, I'm pretty important. I was a member of the first presidency, so I should be the person to lead the church. Other people, like James Strang, will claim through either a letter appointment or also miracles that he is supposed to lead the church. Other people will make other various claims during this time period. But it's the Quorum of the Twelve that is going to have the majority, the vast majority of members, certainly in Nauvoo, follow it. And it's going to be this, this claim that they have been given this, that they've been given this authority. Now, we have a couple of accounts of when this took place. We know that it was sometime in 1844, and most likely it appears that it was in March. Now, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. We don't know exactly when it was. We don't have a certainty. Now, I was working on the Joseph Smith Papers project for the church, um, and um, you know, back you know a decade ago, the most highly anticipated aspect of working on them was the idea that we would finally get to publish with annotation the Council of Fifty Minutes. Now we have, I think, several podcasts on the Council of Fifty Minutes, Richard. Yeah, we do. And are they good? Nope. Okay. So you can go back and try to find those. They won't be indexed, nor will they be helpful. <laughs> you know what? Um, I'm going I'm to go find them. I'm going to get our crack research staff on it, and I'll... Uh, they're, actually, they're actually great. By Very the way, our crack research staff is also Richard. We're expanding. We're expanding yeah. that with all of the filthy lucre coming in. We're looking yeah. to hire a team of, of, team of researchers. Researchers. Yeah. That's right. We're looking to hire... Hire is a, a loose term. We're looking, <laughs> we're looking to... Is there anyone looking for credit? It would have to be at an unaccredited university. So if you are looking for internship credit at an unaccredited for-profit university, we're hiring. If you're a University of Utah student, you're looking to be a TA and in, a, in the business school and get credit for that, you can do all of our indexing for free, oh, completely unrelated yeah. to the TA work that you'll receive credit for. Yeah. There you go. There it is. Yeah, Richard's just gonna have to figure out how to. How I'm pretty to, confident everything I said is not yeah. going to be possible. I'm and and not only is it not possible, not one of those people is listening to this podcast uh, because they would be relatively successful if they were in the business school. Um, so, the reason why I bring up the Council of Fifty Minutes is one of the things that was the most highly anticipated about finally getting the text of this was people wondered and and frankly hoped that this final charge meeting where Joseph gives the keys of the kingdom to the Quorum of the Twelve, that it would actually have taken place in um, a Council of Fifty uh, meeting. The Council of Fifty, you know, just so you don't have to go back and find the other episodes and, and read it all out. It's actually it's actually would be season one. So yeah, it was back, very early on. All, all yeah. the way back to season one. It was one. back when no one was listening, unlike <laughs> now. Yeah. yeah. So you, yeah, season one episodes, I think uh, 29, 30, 31, something like that. Right. So um, there is a, a meeting. Oh, sorry. Let me just say that there's the creation of the Council of 50. And 
in the Council of 50, the point of it was twofold. To help electioneer for Joseph Smith because he was running for uh, presidency of the United States. And then also, primarily, their, their purpose was to help prepare to move the Latter-day Saints outside of the United States, to find a place for them to move, and also not just find a place for them to move, but also uh, prepare and draft the constitution of the kingdom of God on earth. You know, no pressure, basically. Uh, so that wherever they go, the new constitution of their new land, that they because they're leaving the United States, the new constitution that they would draw up would be absolutely a perfect government. I mean, as perfect as it could be with people running it, but at least its layout would be perfect because it would be, it would be from God. That was the idea behind it. Well, these uh, meetings, they begin in March of 1844, so just before Joseph Smith is murdered, and they continue even after Joseph is murdered up until the time that the saints leave, leave Nauvoo. Now, why am I focusing on this? Well, because... We have multiple accounts from apostles talking about Joseph Smith rolling off the, the, the kingdom to them, giving them the keys of the kingdom. But like the experience of Peter, James, and John coming and giving the keys in the first place, we didn't have an exact date or account of that, or, or at least we weren't able to verify the later dates that were given. So we, we only had reminiscent accounts rather than, you know, here's a journal entry of, you know, today I got the keys of the kingdom type of thing. Seems like that would be a something that you'd probably write down. Again, people will think that. And yet, you know, well, if Joseph didn't write down in the first vision when he wrote it down, <laughs> obviously it didn't actually happen. Which, you know, the, the more I don't keep a journal, which is always... Right. Every day you're keeping it less than you did the day yeah, before. Yeah, every day I'm a worse journal keeper <laughs> because it's one more day that goes by with nothing entered. In fact, I want this podcast to be my journal. There you go. Yeah. Future posterity, this is me. Yeah. Anyway, um, the the reality is we, we didn't have an exact date. We had reminiscent looking back on it. And so people hoped when the Council of 50 Minutes became public, it's what everyone wanted to dive into. I'll bet it has the whole thing written out in there, da, 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 right? And they were a little bit disappointed that it wasn't in there, that it wasn't written out in there. Now, there is a place where William Clayton records that Joseph is teaching some pretty important things, but doesn't teach what they are. And, you know, you know, maybe William Clayton was too busy going, wait a minute, he's rolling off the keys of the kingdom. Um, but yeah, there's uh, a, there's a reference to it. Uh, March 26th, um, there's this reference that we think is a reference to Joseph Smith giving the keys of the kingdom uh, to the, the Quorum of the Twelve. And you'll see just how kind of ambiguous it is, but it is a, a kind of a weird reference. It's talking about different things. President Joseph Smith continued his instructions on heavenly things and many other important subjects, period. That's all William Clayton gives us. Now, look, it's possible that William Clayton believed that this was 
too this was too holy a thing to record it all down but that doesn't mean that we don't have some idea of what was said primarily because uh there is a a draft statement created by the the quorum of the 12 apostles um where they give this explanation of what was said um they are going to make a list basically of the things that are said and they start with we the undersigned do hereby solemnly sincerely and truly testify before god angels and men with all people to whom this certificate may come that we were present at a council in the latter part of the month of march last 1844 so so they're they're preparing this document in in 1845 in March of 1845, looking back a year, they are all swearing to this experience that they had. Um, or at least that's the intent of the document. That we were present at a council, and I said March 26, right? And there you saw that there Joseph was teaching about heavenly things, many important things, no details on it. Well, here seems to be the, the explanation of it. Um, that the meeting was held in the city of Nauvoo in the upper part of the brick building, uh, situ- uh, situated upon Water Street, commonly known here as Joseph's Store, in which council Joseph Smith did preside, and the greater part of the twelve apostles were present, namely Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, Orson Hyde, Parley Pratt, Orson Pratt, John Taylor, Amasa Lyman, Willard Richards, and Wilford Woodruff. These, we feel confident, were all present on that occasion, besides many others who were of the quorum of high priests to which our, we ourselves belong. And in fact, these Council of 50 Minutes had more than one person in them. In this council, Joseph Smith seemed somewhat depressed in spirit and took the liberty to open his heart to us concerning his presentments of the future. His own language to us on that occasion, as nearly as we can recollect, was as follows. Brethren, the Lord bids me hasten the work in which we are engaged. He will not suffer that you should wait for your endowments until the temple is done. Some important scene is near to take place. It may be that my enemies will kill me. And in the case they should, the keys and power which rest upon me not be imparted to you, they will be lost from the earth. But if I can only succeed in placing them upon your heads, then let me fall a victim to murderous hands, if God will suffer it. And I can go with all pleasure and satisfaction, knowing that my work is done, and the foundation laid on which the kingdom of God is to be reared in this dispensation of the fullness of time. Upon the shoulders of the twelve must the responsibility of leading this church hence forth rest until you shall appoint others to succeed you. Your enemies cannot kill you all at once, and should any of you be killed, you can lay your hands upon others and fill up your quorum. Thus this power and these keys be thus can this power and these keys be perpetuated in the earth. Brethren, you have Many storms to pass through, and many sore trials await you. He goes on 
to say, you will know what it is to be bound with chains and with fetters for this cause sake. God knows I pity you and I feel for you. But if you are called to lay down your lives, die like men and pass immediately beyond the reach of your enemies. After they have killed you, they can harm you no more. Should you have to walk right into danger in the jaws of death, fear no evil. Jesus Christ has died for you. Now the document goes on to state, after the appointment was made and the 12 confirmed by the holy anointing under the hands of Joseph and Hiram Smith, Joseph continued his speech unto them saying, while he walked the floor and threw back the collar of his coat upon his shoulders, I roll the burden and responsibility of leading this church off from my shoulders onto yours. Now round up your shoulders and stand under it like men. For the Lord is going to let me rest a while. Never shall we forget his feelings or his words on this occasion. After he had thus spoken, he continued to walk the floor saying, Since I have rolled the burden off of my shoulders, I feel as light as a cork. I feel that I am free. I thank my God for this deliverance. So, they, this account, of course, is a reminiscent account, but there are obviously other people present who also give accounts of what it is that happened in that meeting. For instance, Wilford Woodruff would later recall, I, Wilford Woodruff, being the last man living in the flesh who was present upon that occasion, feel it a duty that I owe to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to the house of Israel and to the whole world, to bear this my last testimony to all nations." that in the winter of 1843-44, Joseph Smith, the prophet of God, called the twelve apostles together in the city of Nauvoo and spent many days with us in giving us our endowments and teaching us those glorious principles which God had revealed to him. And upon one occasion he stood upon his feet in our midst for nearly three hours, declaring unto us the great and last dispensation which God had set his hand to perform upon the earth in these last days. The room was filled as if with consuming fire. The prophet was clothed upon with much of the power of God, and his face shone and was transparently clear. And he closed that speech, never to be forgotten in time or in eternity, with the following language. Brethren, I've had great sorrow of heart for fear that I might be taken from the earth with the keys of the kingdom of God upon me without sealing them upon the heads of other men. God has sealed upon my head all the keys of the kingdom of God necessary for organizing and building up the church, Zion, and kingdom of God upon the earth and to prepare the saints for the coming of the Son of Man. Now, brethren, I thank God that I have lived to see the day that I have been able to give you your endowments. And I have now sealed upon your heads all the powers of the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods and apostleship with all the keys and powers thereof, which God has sealed upon me. I, and I now roll off all the labor, burden, and care of this church and kingdom of God upon your shoulders. And I now command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to round up your shoulders and bear off this church and kingdom of God before heaven and earth, and before God, angels, and men. And if you don't do it, 
you will be damned. Wilford completes his uh, recollection by saying, And the same spirit that filled the room at that time burns in my bosom while I record this testimony. And the prophet of God appointed no one else but the twelve apostles to stand at the head of the church and direct its affairs. Now, not only do you have this account that is given by Wilford Woodruff, we have this priceless account of Wilford Woodruff bearing his testimony, not just in written form, not just an account of a meeting when someone's transcribing and writing down what he's saying, which is still great. We actually have the earliest audio recording of any prophet of God because shortly before, shortly before Wilford Woodruff dies in 1897, they have invented the this you know dictaphone machine and the way that it worked was there were wax cylinders that were created that would rotate around and there would be styluses that would make impressions in the wax and then that would be played back in order to get someone's voice recording back now the first time i ever heard that this was the case was again by our you know unbeknownst to him mentor Truman G. Madsen. I mean, <laughs> he I'm sure is quite disappointed. Yeah. 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 Oh. He's like, oh see, so that look at so my this, following. Oh boy. This is this is what I've got. I mean, like, couldn't you give me something else? Nope. Imperfect people was all God had to work with. Uh but he referenced, you know, this la- this charge, the the this testimony that Wilfred Woodruff gives that was on those wax cylinders. Now, I didn't hear it at the time. Later, when, uh, you know, I got, uh, when I got older, when I, I got more into research, I was able to listen to that testimony. It is incredibly difficult to understand because it's, it's wax being played. Uh, this is, you know, the earliest of all types of recording and he is very old and, and quite enfeebled. In fact, he's going to die just a few months later. And he is not given a script, really, for what he's going to, to, to say. But he records this essentially four-minute testimony that we are going to try to include here in the podcast. We, we have the audio. It, it, is, it is fairly difficult. It's to... really difficult audio. We're going to insert it into the podcast. Like I said, it's about four minutes. We are also going to include a link in the download. We are actually going to include the link this time. Okay, we won't actually. We won't. Obviously, there won't be a link. <laughs> not only will you not be able to hear the prophet speak, but you won't be able to, you know, there won't be a link. No, we'll try to do that. We'll try to insert the audio. If it, if it, if it ends up not sounding like if you can't understand it at all because it is so bad. The nice part about clicking the link is subtitles have been created for yeah, there's the audio. A, there's a YouTube video. Yeah, a YouTube video it. that has subtitles with it so you can understand it. But it is one of the most profound things I've ever heard in my life. It is one thing to hear someone say, I've read the things that Joseph Smith wrote and I really believe it's that he's a prophet. You can read John Taylor's testimony, which we've read on air here multiple times, as he knew Joseph personally. 
that he was a prophet. Here you hear Wilford Woodruff not, not, not writing it down. You actually hear him say it. And even though he's, he's, he's well, late 90s, you know, Wilford Woodruff, nearing the end of his death, you can hear the fervency and emotion in this man's voice, even on the worst recording uh, device ever created in the history of mankind. I mean, well, it was the only one at the time. It was amazing at the time, but compared to anything else. Until the Standard of Truth podcast. So this was the worst recording until we started recording. Well, right. Well, that was poor in, in sound quality. This is poor in all of the other Well, ones. initially we were poor in quality and in content. And then we got, you know, Lisa gave us some microphones. And so then we just got poor in, in content. <laughs> That's correct. But I'd but, like to say that we've remained poor. We we did listen to it before recording. It is, it, it's pretty remarkable. It's powerful. And, you know, while there are people who will say, well, of course the apostles are going to say that they were given the keys. You know, that that's a way to be a tra- detractor. But the reality is most of the saints living in Nauvoo were well aware that the Quorum of the Twelve was the leadership of the church. That's why most of the saints living in Nauvoo are going to follow the Quorum of the Twelve. Why don't they follow Sidney Rigdon when Sidney Rigdon has been a member of the First Presidency for you know a decade? Why don't they follow him? You know, he's the one who received Doctrine and Covenant Section 76 with Joseph. Why don't they follow him? Because Joseph had made it very clear that the Quorum of the Twelve had this power and authority. And when we talk about the succession, I mean, we will at some point, obviously not right away, but at some point we'll talk about it. And when we do, that's one of the things that we'll focus on is this process whereby Joseph is building the Quorum of the Twelve up, preparing them. One thing that's really interesting and that is verified by the Council of 50 Minutes is the apostles talk all the time about how it seemed like Joseph you know, was worried that he was going to die. Well, one thing that comes out of the Council of 50 Minutes is Joseph Smith, in one of his sermons, says that he 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 fears that he won't be able to spend the time with his friends that he that he wants. Brigham Young, when he's talking about this later in the Council of Fifty, and he will say, while Joseph was living, it seems as though he was hurried by the Lord all the time, and especially for the last year. It seemed that he had laid out work for this church, which would last them twenty years to carry out. Well, think about it; they had to complete. The, the, the temple, they had to complete the Nauvoo house. They uh, had to give endowments to all of the members of the church. They had to perform baptisms for the dead for countless people. I mean, and Joseph had already laid out that they were going to move once again, leave everything in Nauvoo and move to the middle of nowhere in Mexico. And so when Brigham Young says, it seems like Joseph had laid out work for 20 years to carry out. I don't think that's much of an exaggeration. And Brigham says, I used to wonder why it was that he used to be hurried so, not supposing that he was going to die, but now I understand the reason. There are several references, not just reminiscent ones, that Joseph seemed to understand 
in March and April and May of 1844 that his time was very quickly drawing to a close. And that's the reason why he gives the keys of the kingdom to the Quorum of the Twelve collectively and gives them that final charge that they have to carry off the kingdom and if not, they're going to be damned. That's part of the reason why I think that the Quorum of the Twelve, with Brigham Young as their leader, refuses to just cast aside any of Joseph Smith's teachings, even though some of them were not very popular, because they knew where their keys and authority came from. People like Sidney Rigdon, in conversation with Brigham Young, tells Brigham Young that the church has not been led by the Spirit for a long time. Well, since Joseph had just been murdered, what did Sidney Rigdon mean by that? What he meant was Joseph had been revealing things that Sidney Rigdon disagreed with. For Brigham Young, it didn't matter whether he disagreed with them. If Joseph revealed them, that's what they were going to do. I think we owe a debt of gratitude to the men and women who even though the way wasn't completely clear, and even though the way of the apostles was the most difficult way that required forsaking again almost all of your property, leaving the nation, leaving your family, burying children and spouses and and, and, and family and friends sometimes along the way, even though the practice of plural marriage as well as other doctrines like the idea of deification, becoming like God, that God was once a man, even though those doctrines would further alienate Latter-day Saints from the rest of the Christian United States, our pioneer forebears, even if you don't have a pioneer ancestor, those men and women who said, I'm going to follow the prophets, I'm going to follow the apostle." I'm going to follow what it is that the keys of the kingdom are are teaching, even if I don't understand it, even if it is very hard. Their faith and their testimonies are what makes it possible for us to casually argue about when we go to the temple next. The only reason we have endowments and initiatories and temple sessions and sealings are because these men and women refused to cast aside the teachings that Joseph Smith initially taught. Those keys are clearly carried on by the Quorum of the Twelve. And if you want the best evidence of it, look and see which of the groups that are formed after Joseph Smith is murdered, which of them are desperately trying to maintain Every single thing that Joseph taught, even when it wasn't popular, even when most people rejected it, even when it alienated them from the country. And that was Brigham Young and the Quorum of the Twelve. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for a great question. Hopefully you're all able to hear Wilford Woodruff's amazing testimony. President Wilford Woodruff speaking on March 19, 1897. 
Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. 
If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.